0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of the PR Week. That's PR Week's weekly podcast about everything going on in the worlds of PR and communications. My name is Frank Washcook. I'm PR Week's executive editor, and I'd like to welcome you to today's show. And I'd also like to say stick around for a few minutes after today's interviews for some snippets, Q&As, and highlights from last Thursday night's 40 Under 40 in New York City that our team did with a a number of very special guests. I think you'll really enjoy them. But first, for the Q&A portion of the show, let me introduce today's co-host. Diana Bradley is PR Week's associate news editor. Diana, thank you for joining the show today.
1: Oh, thank you so much for having me.
0: And we also have a terrific guest for you this week. Uh, is Leanne Hedich, vice president of communications at the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance. So Leanne, welcome to the show.
2: Thank you. I'm excited to be here.
0: Leanne, it sounds like you have one of the, the most interesting and exciting jobs in, in the whole industry. Uh, so when someone has no knowledge whatsoever of, of what you do all day uh, or what PR or communications is, how do you explain to them what you do?
2: <laughs> I um, it, It's definitely my dream job. I, I explain to them that I get to share a passion for wildlife with the world. Um, You know, everybody knows the world famous San Diego Zoo, but it's kind of fun to talk about what we do as a conservation organization. Um, So it it, it tends to be a lengthy conversation.
0: No, no kidding. I I I think people probably would not know that the conservation organization is also a part of what you do, right?
2: Right. Yeah, we um, we rebranded about two years ago, two and a half years ago for exactly that reason. We really are a conservation organization first. We like to say with two front doors, the San Diego Zoo and the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, which is about 45 minutes north of the zoo. It's a spectacular place where the animals are just out in the open, wild, running around. It's, it's really um, something to see. Um, but the six million guests that we filter through those two front doors really fuel our conservation work um, every year we have what we call eight conservation hubs um, across six continents. We have 200 projects globally. Uh, We work with over 500 partners to impact wildlife globally.
0: That's fascinating. And I'm sure the weather in Southern California also helps get people to your park uh, and to the safari as well. So um, what's, what's a normal day or a normal week look like for you?
2: You know, a lot of it is is similar to what probably a lot of your listeners do. Every day is different. Um, You never know what breaking news there's going to be or, um, you know, press releases and pitching stories. But then you have just incredible work that scientists are doing that just make my job so easy. I'll never forget one of our biggest stories last year. I was on a random Tuesday call with one of our scientists, Dr. Oliver Ryder, um, and he said, hey, we just realized that there's condor parthenogenesis, which is that female condors can reproduce without males. Um, no and way. it ended up being one of our biggest stories of the year. Yeah, Yes. And it's just a random Tuesday call. I think these, these scientists often don't understand the magnitude of what their work could be when you translate it into the mainstream media. And so, mm. you know, of course, that just completely derails your day because you're like, we need to tell everybody about this. Um, and, and, and I'm so grateful that those moments happen pretty much on a weekly basis here. Um, we have some of the most incredibly talented individuals from wildlife care, wildlife health and conservation science that work here. Um, And there's really an overabundance of stories to be able to tell.
0: That's amazing stuff. And it makes me happy I'm not a male condor because I'd have a limited shelf life, wouldn't I? So that's um, but what do you do when a scientific discovery happens? And, you know, it happens in your offices or on your grounds. I mean, uh, do you reach out to scientific journals first or, you know, Good Morning America or, or, you know, everybody in between?
2: everybody in between I think typically the the discoveries are reported in scientific journals um, so we find out when the journal is going to lift the story um, so the scientists report their findings and then we work under embargo from there so if nature is going to run it in three weeks then we go out and we pitch, depending on the story, of course, right, mainstream or scientific journalists to cover that story under embargo. And obviously certain stories are much, much larger than others, including that one. But that's usually how we work with the scientific discoveries. But sometimes when things are happening on the grounds at the zoo and the safari park, you know, a a critically endangered species is born on habitat right in front of Mm -hmm. hundreds of guests. And so you can imagine there's cell phone footage and there's cameras. We have um, focusing groups here at the zoo in the park of groupies <laughs> that are standing no at the kidding. habitats all, all day long. And they get these incredible photos. And so then it's a race against time to get yeah. the details and try and, and break the news on our own channels before um, these, these people who have just amazing photos are able to break it before
0: us. And how often do you actually do that? I mean, it's uh you know, I'm I'm sure your team is terrific at it, but I'll, but people are very fast in posting things to social media and the internet and their own you know, own media themselves. How often do you beat them to it?
2: I would say it's 50-50, but 50-50. it's been it's been a passion project of mine. We recently had new tiger cubs born at the safari park and so we mm-hmm. worked closely with the wildlife care and the operations team there knowing when they were going to be ready to come out of their den with their mother. And we were able to try and time it as perfectly as we could so that we could get the photos first and and, and, and twist it uh, twist it around so it could get out on our channels um, before the parks opened for the day. Um, so it, it's kind of a fun little puzzle. You know, it's, it's, I, I'm always going to be grateful for it, right, though, because in PR – we're we're hoping people are gonna share our stories and we're hoping right. people are gonna come and and love what we do and, and to spread that word even wider. So I try and remember that it's a good thing. Um and and that um we're all kind of working towards the same goal.
1: Since you've been there, have you noticed there's a particular animal that is like the most popular in terms of like social conversation or anything like that.
0: And I also wanted to ask you, cause you brought it up, which animals have the most groupies?
2: Oh my goodness. Well, it's the baby, right? The babies mm. have the most groupies. Um, so it's typically, it moves around. So we had a red panda cub earlier this year, um, who was very popular. And then you've got baby tigers and baby leopards. And so those tend to be the ones that, that, um, Get get the most groupies. But of course, you've got your iconic lion, right? The lion's roar. Um, the safari park. If you haven't seen the pictures, you have to go to their Instagram. It's just it it, it is the most breathtaking place you've ever seen. And so Just it in and of itself, some of the views that you have of the giraffe and the rhino, because you can take a safari tour out into the field where they are. Those tend to get a lot of attention, too. But I think that um, I think that the most the most popular ones on social media, capybaras right now, they're huge. They're trending. They're everywhere. Um, We just had four capybara pups that are just superstars. Mm -hmm. We have a crab that's within our our uh, it's called wildlife explorers base camp it's it's one of the newest areas of the zoo and he tends to be one of the most popular his name's Kenny so of course he had his own <laughs> ken moment recently Kenny the um, crab he's
3: why
2: is coconut- his name Kenny yes he's a coconut crab and Whoa. and and the team made t-shirts for him and he 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 crushes it on social media It's so, it's so funny, but yeah, he's, he's, he's pretty popular.
0: Well, I, I have sort of a nuts and bolts follow-up for you on that. And, um, you know, what does your team look like? Um, you know, do you, do you handle social media or is that part of a different department and and your teams just play nice together or or how does it work? Because I'd, I'd imagine social media is just such a gigantic part of what your team does, but tell me if I'm wrong.
2: No, you're correct. Yeah. So, when my my role was actually created 3 years ago it didn't exist before no kidding. um so we had a new ceo come on board about 4 years ago uh his name's paul Barabalt. he was formerly with disney marketing um he came on board and he really the biggest the biggest issue at the time was people didn't know we were a conservation organization right like you guys at the beginning um, mentioned it yourselves um, and so that was the goal that our board had. And then he had, it was get people to know um, what what we do and the global impact that we have. And so he created my role. Historically in marketing, it was traditional marketing and sales. And PR and social media sat about three layers deep below the director of marketing. Um, so really not an opportunity to make a great impact like that, right? So he created my role and brought five different departments together under one roof. So you had all the different communications teams saying different things because they weren't collaborating together, they weren't being creative together. And so my team um, has the public relations team, the social media team, um, what we call purpose communications. So that is our philanthropy, our member, our brand communications, um, the internal communications team, um, and our science communications team. Um, so historically all broken apart with the exception of PR and social satin marketing. So now they all are under me, all the positions were elevated. Um, and so it's really made a, hu- it's made a huge jump within yeah. our first year. We were able to increase awareness of a conservation organization from 19 to 31 percent. Um, our impressions went from 29 billion to 91 billion in one year, um, so it really just shows how bringing communicators together can really allow everybody to to thrive.
0: Yeah, and I can imagine having five different comms teams with five different messages could be a recipe for disaster when you're dealing with any kind of crisis situation or or any kind of topic that you need to speak out about or a leadership change or whatever the case is. So, sounds like a change for the better. So, getting back to social media, you know, what is uh, what's your overarching strategy on it? I mean, would you would you call your accounts you know snarky or do do they newsjack? Do they do they jump in on current events uh, or do they play it a bit more conservatively?
2: I think we play it a bit more conservatively because I think one of the things that we um, that we pride ourselves on is something that everybody can be unified around is animals. Mm-hmm. Um, I think animals make people happy. It gives people an opportunity to get away from some of the other things that are happening around the globe. Um, it's it's a place for, for respite, really, to just go and look at these pictures. And they're, they're neutral. Animals aren't political. Animals aren't controversial. Or they shouldn't be, and so we don't really um, newsjack in that in in that aspect. But of course, we're always following trends to see what ones can make sense for our animals. Definitely love to have fun with the puns. I have to hand it to my senior manager of social media. Her name's Taylor Moore. She's one of the most creative people I've ever met in my entire life. Some of the captions she comes up with. Um, One of our local magazines (laughs) called her the Picasso of social media last year. And I was so proud of her because some of the things she comes up with is just amazing. But what I will say is a lot of social media right now is 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 brainstorming and throwing spaghetti at the wall and seeing what's sticking. It seems to be no rhyme or reason lately to what's performing things that used to just crush it on social media aren't really going that far. And so what I love about my social media team is that they just keep trying. Um, and so we are in constant contact with our wildlife health teams, our wildlife care teams to say what's happening, you know, what kind of cool enrichment are you doing for our animals? Like, um, you know, what animals are getting pumpkins for the holidays or, um, are the bears going to have a bubble bath or are the polar bears going to get snow, um, so that we can be there
0: in San Diego. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but, but I, I have to ask this. (laughs) So how do you get the snow to the polar bears in in San Diego? I mean, I'm guessing there's an indoor environment or something like that.
2: No, it's an outdoor environment, but there's companies that will come. Yeah, companies come and make make the snow for them, and they love it. They love it. I, got, a, love I it. got
0: overly excited there. That's 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 fascinating. Um, so you mentioned something a second ago, and you said you know it seems like things just aren't working on social media now. And and what do you think is the reason for that? Is that is it just that you know X, formerly known as Twitter, is is just such a mess now. Um, you know, and I think a lot of people have dropped off of it, and there are, there hasn't really been a you know short form platform that's really taken its place, whether it's blue sky or others, you know, nobody's really stepped up. Um, and you know, Instagram's version of that didn't quite work out as people had planned. And, and also you can add that the news is just so, you know, depressing and and a lot of brands feel like they shouldn't be putting out fun content in this environment. What is your two cents on why maybe the social media environment isn't what it used to be?
2: I think honestly, a lot of it is just the the innovation and the new technologies trying to keep up. Um, you know, there it's it's really small nuances that that seem to be changing, like the size of the picture of the video. Mm-hmm. Is it going to be the square, or is it going to be you know the full length picture? Is it video or is it static anymore? Is it reels? Um, I think. I think that the platforms are trying to innovate so quickly that it hasn't really allowed time for dust to settle for people to to understand or catch the analytics of what's performing. And on on the back end, a lot of the platforms haven't started providing analytics for some of their new technologies yet. So social media teams are really um, just guessing at this point about you know which direction the platforms are going in um yeah a lot of people are leaving x a lot of zoos and aquariums are leaving it as well um and 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 we speak with a lot of the community um obviously behind the scenes we have our own networking groups of hey what worked for you guys and um and it seems like everyone in at least in our space um is seeing the same thing that just it hasn't allowed time for the dust to settle mm-hmm. from everything that happened with X, as you said, um, to, to kind of figure figure it all out a little bit and get a feel of it.
0: What platform tends to get the most interaction for your team?
2: It used to be TikTok, but Facebook video is now no outperforming it.
0: Yeah. yeah. I would have guessed yeah. TikTok or Instagram. That's interesting.
1: When did it start? Uh, veering more towards Facebook video? Um,
2: just a couple months ago. Oh. When I first arrived here about three years ago, we had a partnership, an educational partnership with TikTok, which helped, they really helped to amplify our content because of that. Um, we were producing videos just educating people about conservation and about animals and things like that. Um, And ever since that partnership ended, it seems like that extra boost that we were receiving from that kind of went away. Um, And it's been a little bit of struggle um, to to gain that back. But, yeah, I also think, though, part of it's our audience. Our audience does skew a little bit older, um, and a lot of our audience is on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Um, All of those, they're called focusing groups. Uh, There's about 15,000 of them. Um, between three different groups that are on Facebook. And so they're they're not on Instagram. They're not on TikTok. So I think that's part of it as well. Um, and our volunteers tend to be our biggest supporters. I will say one really cool thing about being here is that whenever anyone does try and come at us on, on social media um, in a negative way, we never actually have to defend ourselves. Hmm. We have 3,000 volunteers and... 15,000 other supporters that just will go after it. And it's a beautiful thing to see. Um, We're so grateful for it. Um, So I think that's kind of where our conversation happens. And that's probably why.
0: Yeah. And and that's my next question was, look, zoos aren't everybody's cup of tea. And there are a lot of people who who believe that all animals should be out in their natural habitat uh, and not in zoos. Um, you know, how do you counteract that? And, and do you have a strategy? I think you just mentioned some of it, but do you have a broader strategy for maybe how you deal with activist groups uh, or, or people who are, are constantly trolling your brand on social media?
2: Oh, man, that's my favorite question, to be honest with you, Frank. You're right. And I think zoos for a very long time did themselves a disservice for the way that they portrayed animals for the way that they talked about animals for the things that they showed. Um, But there are such incredible, great zoos out there. And I know I'm biased, but the San Diego zoo and the San Diego zoo safari park really are leading that charge of there is no wild left. If it wasn't for zoos and aquariums, some of these species would not exist. And so, um, you know, one of, our, one of our pinnacle stories is the California condor. If you look at our logo, um, the condor is in the middle of our logo. And it's one of our most successful programs where there were 22 condors left in the world. Um, and when we rescued that species 40 years ago, we brought them in house. We learned about um, breeding and, and reintroduction into care for them. There's now 500 flying free in the wild. And we have stories like that for over 40 species And if it wasn't for zoos, that work could not happen. Um, A a lot of people saw us in the news with the Maui wildfires recently. We have a bird center on Maui um, on the island where um, when the wildfires happened, we never wanted to make it a story about us because obviously it was and still is a human tragedy.
4: Mm. But
2: we have been working with journalists at top tier publications about our stories there. We have some species of birds that are within the Maui Bird Center um, that only exist within those four walls. Um, and, And the Hawaiian people are so spiritually connected to those birds that our work there is so critical. Um, we when the fire broke out right out front of the bird center, um, our manager literally went out there with a hose and a, and a fire hydrant and, and protected it until the fire department arrived. So, of course, as you can imagine, that video went absolutely viral. But part of the, re- the, the story went so broad is because we were already working with The New York Times, Washington Post, Nat Geo on that story. Um, but we can only do our work there reintroducing these critically endangered species because we're a zoo. Because we have the experience working um, with these animals. And so storytelling, right? My job was created because our new CEO, Paul, he's not so new anymore, but because we do need to do a better job of explaining why zoos need to exist um, and and why zoos are critical uh, to protecting um, endangered species globally,
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. So you have an iconic brand. Uh, the San Diego Zoo is is um, it's um, you know, it has a special place in pop culture. Um, you know, I, what were we talking about before in the newsroom? Madagascar. Yes. Yes, Madagascar, which I have not seen, but I've been informed <laughs> about very out. very quickly. <laughs> um, but you know, you've been a part of other other pop. Pulp- Pop culture moments, I think maybe Anchorman or Anchorman 2, or. And or,
1: apparently, friends.
0: And apparently, friends, too. So, how do you uh, take advantage of having been a part of movies or TV shows or things like that?
2: I mean, it definitely makes my job a lot easier, right? When I'm a PR person and I'm getting on the phone with a journalist. Um, they're more willing to have that conversation with me um, because of the iconic brand, right? I think um, we've been having a lot of desk sides um, getting people to know who the San Diego Zoo Wildlife Alliance is. And there's no doubt that they're picking up the phone and they're accepting those meetings because of that. So I think as much as we can continue to showcase our brand in a positive way and that we can provide them with information that they never knew before, It will continue that reputation i think we we use it for good we don't use it for bad we use it to share some really incredible stories and so i think that that's kind of the way that we approach it is that we we're honored and and we recognize it and we don't overuse it Mm -hmm. i the word i'm looking for
0: fair enough all right leanne we have to we have to put you on the spot for a few questions so what what is your favorite animal at the san diego zoo or the wildlife center
2: his name is Winston. Um, he is a silverback gorilla. I have his picture in my office. He's at the San Diego Zoo Safari Park, and he's one of the most special animals you'll ever meet. He just touches touches my heart.
0: And what's your favorite? I mean, it could be the same one, but what's your favorite exhibit? Is it Winston's or is it a different total exhibit?
1: Oh,
2: my favorite habitat, I think, is the savanna um, out at the safari park it's a, it's, it's a broad, um, open space where you have giraffe rhino. Um, it's 60 acres. It's over 60 acres Mm. of just, um, open ranging hoof stock and rhinos and giraffe just roaming freely with one another. And it's, it's, it's breathtaking. Um, it really, uh, we, this is going to sound so cheesy, but it's really true. We, we, um, we had a campaign last year for the 50th anniversary of the Safari Park called A Moment Can Change a Lifetime. And it's true. When you see it for the first time, it, it really changes your life. It changes your mm-hmm. perspective. And so that's probably my favorite uh, habitat.
0: And um, what is your favorite of all time viral social media moment starring an animal? Oh,
2: my goodness. Oh, man, this is really this is a tough one.
0: Let's let you pass for a moment and then and then after we do the news (laughs) of the week, we can come back to it. Okay. so Diana Bradley is here with us uh, and we're going to go over the top marketing and communications news of the week. So tell us a little bit about and this is a really interesting campaign. It's MAD's first impaired driving campaign in three decades, which I have to tell you really shocked me when I when I saw the headline that they hadn't had one in three decades because you think of MAD being such an active group out there.
1: Yeah, um, I, I believe it's their first new holiday campaign mm-hmm. uh, in 30 years. Um, but Mad, uh, in case you are unfamiliar with them, they're Mothers Against Drunk Driving. Um, so they've launched To Get There, which is um, urging Americans to take action against impaired driving this holiday season. Uh, with someone killed or injured in a drunk driving crash every 79 seconds, um, according to the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration, to get their serves as a multifaceted campaign to raise awareness of the public health crisis and change behavior. So the campaign features a PSA uh, showcasing real families impacted by impaired driving, um, there's also a pledge um, to get there safely, which people can take by visiting MAD's website and sharing on social media channels to signal they're available to help others get home safely. And the PSA, created by MAD in house, tells the stories of victims and survivors and what they wish they knew or wish they had done differently to prevent the incident that took their loved ones' life. And the overall campaign was developed together with Carol Cohn on purpose.
0: Yes, Carol, who we just uh, had on the podcast recently. Some would say Carol took over the podcast uh, in a <laughs> recent, recent episode with Steve and I. Um, all right, so there's been a split between a longtime agency and client partners. So tell us a little bit about Huawei and Ruderfin uh, cutting ties recently, Diana.
1: Sure. Um, so yeah they've they've ended their partnership after nearly three years working together according to a fara filing Um, in november 2020 amid u.s government and security experts concerns about huawei's 5g cellular equipment rudder finn signed a deal to handle the company's u.s communications Um, so the the new york-based agency supported huawei with services including strategic counsel, media relations Um, Influencer and Key Opinion Leader Program, Industry Analyst Relations, Thought Leadership Services, Data Insights, and Audience Analysis. Um, In December 2022, the firm stopped working directly with Huawei and started a similar brief um, for one of the company's subsidiaries, FutureWay Technologies, Um, due to internal changes at the Chinese tech giant um, and Ruderfin completed its three month contract with Future Way in May.
0: Fascinating stuff. And uh, something we are always keeping an eye on, the biggest account moves. Uh, tell us a little bit. And, and I'm, you know, Dan, I'm interested in the story here, but I'm also interested in your perspective on this because because this story is about Roblox. Um, and how, uh, and your son is a Roblox user, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So this story is about <laughs> how war protests, uh, about the Israel Hamas war are showing up, uh, on Roblox. Yeah. And, and it, I found this to be really interesting because the, um, 29 million Roblox users are under the age of 12. So you could yeah. imagine the influence this is having on them. So yeah. tell us a little bit about it.
1: Yeah. So, um, So, yeah, as you said, Roblox users are attending virtual protests in the wake of the Israel-Hamas war. Um, Viral videos of pro-Palestine protests on the platform show users marching while holding Palestinian or Malaysian flags and signs that read Solidarity for you, Palestine. Um, Roblox users are also using the platform to support Israel, in addition to creating makeshift interactions between leaders of Israel and Palestine um, the protest showcased in viral, vi- viral videos was one of multiple pro-Palestine protests on Roblox that the company is aware of. Um, a Roblox spokesperson told PR Week that while its community standards allow for expressions of solidarity, it does not allow for content that endorses or condones violence, promotes terrorism or hatred against individuals or groups, or calls for supporting a specific political party.
0: What's Yeah, so what's your point of view on this? Because I... I it sounds like Roblox just has such an influence over, I don't, you know, uh, kids under fourteen, kids under twelve, right? I yeah, mean.
1: it's um so Roblox. So my son is—he just turned eleven—and um, it is pretty difficult to know exactly what a kid is doing on there. They Except can Except asking go you for
0: money to buy stuff, right?
1: That as well. Yeah. Um, but that's a whole other conversation. Right. <laughs> but right. yeah, they can basically just go in these various different games of their own accord and you don't know what they're seeing or mm. what their, what kind of messages are kind of getting to them. So in that way, it is a little concerning. Yeah. Um, yeah, so, understood. Yeah, and that's... it sounds
0: like it. on the move. We have two big people moves to tell our listeners about this week. And uh, one is about Christine Karate. Um, and she's a veteran of the Washington Post and CNN moving to a new role. And also the uh, very recently appointed head of communications at Lyft also moving to a new role.
1: Yes. Yahoo has hired Sona Elif Moon as chief communications officer. Mm-hmm. So she's reporting to Yahoo CEO Jim Lanzone um, and will guide all aspects of Yahoo's global communications strategy. And Sanet Chow was Yahoo's previous chief communications officer. But before joining Yahoo, um, Elif Moon was VP of communications and a member of the executive leadership team at Lyft and Eric Smith is the interim head of communications as Lyft looks to hire for the role. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay. And we have one last topic, Diana, tell us what it's about because you're going to end up asking me questions on this.
1: I'm going to turn the tables. Um, tables. Yeah. So New York comes together this Sunday um, to cheer on runners taking part in the New York city marathon. We did Q and A's with participants from the comms industry and analyzed the parallels between marathon training and the PR profession. Um, so one person that we interviewed was you. Frank. Was me. Um, so, yes. do you want to talk about what running in the New York City Marathon means to
0: you? Yeah, um, I don't want to get existential about this, but uh, what I would what I would say is that I did the twenty twenty one New York City Marathon, which is the first marathon after the pandemic, and it was um, it was a really unique and I think emotional experience for a lot of people after, you know, they're being on lockdown for a number of months. And um it was one of the first real major events in the city at that time in twenty twenty one. So it was uh it was a real experience then. Uh and there were packed crowds all throughout the course and it was a really it was a really, really nice experience and a touching experience because, you know, you, you it's hard to go back to that 2020 period, but you, you know, you know, you started to wonder if these things were ever going to happen again or happen at the same scale that they were at. So, um, yeah. yeah, that was, um, that was a unique experience for sure.
1: Yeah. Well, best of luck Who else? Uh, who else
0: do we talk to for um, this? Um,
1: so we also, we interviewed so many people, yeah. um, for example, Patrick Lenihan, um, who's managing partner at Gravity Strategic Partners. Um, also he, a recent
0: guest on the. Podcast. Yes, yeah.
1: and he's running with Fred's team, which raises money for Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. Yeah,
0: that's a good charity. Yeah, really, so really so
1: when asked if he sees any parallels between marathon training and comms work, he said, focusing through a sweat while a bunch of people yell at me? Why no, <laughs> what could a marathon and comms possibly have in common? Oh, that's funny. Um, we also interviewed Christina Sebastio, Senior Account Supervisor on Edelman's Crisis and Reputation Risk Practice, Thomas Kellner, director of own storytelling at Amazon, Bennett Kleinberg, president at Jupiter Strategies, and several others. So well, definitely I, check out those. Yeah, I'll tell you another sure. thing,
0: at, at least in the marathon in New York, um, there tends to be a lot of funny signs on the course. A lot, of, a lot of whimsical and humorous and, and unique signs. And that, that is not the case everywhere. Um,
1: I feel like I saw one. I used to live in Bay Ridge and I feel like somebody had one that said, this is the only way I can get my friends in Manhattan to visit me. That's
0: and funny. Like, see, that's yeah. that's a good joke. <laughs> that's a good joke. Uh, you know, and then you see like um, it is interesting in that um, at some recent races, you could tell how many kids are, are continue to be into Mario Brothers because there's a lot of like, you know, kids out with signs that say like tap the mushroom for a extra power, which feels like it's something from my childhood. And it's, it's amazing to think it's it's still out there. Um, you know, and then you, you know, (laughs) you see a lot, but I, I kid you not. I, um, when I was in Berlin for the marathon, I saw a, a woman holding a sign that just said, I am looking for a wealthy man. Age doesn't matter. (laughs) And so I was like, that's one of the most unique Signs I've ever seen at a race. So, oh, my and, and God. Please straight, let us straight know what you so, see. So, yeah, I will. I'll, um, I'll report back afterwards. So, uh, Leanne, any thoughts about a favorite violent moment featuring an animal, whether at a zoo or someplace else?
2: Uh, yes. Um, thank you for the extra time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Emmanuel the emu. I think that one's, my, that one's my favorite one. But there is an influencer okay. called Z Frank. He does a series called Creepy Dave. Um, oh, no and kidding. He educates in a special way. He educates people about different species. And if you want a good laugh, I would totally check his page out because he's hilarious.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay, a few. uh, Well, first of all, thank you, Leanne, for joining us today. And thank you, Diana, for co-hosting. This has been a great episode of the PR Week. A few public service announcements. We have the PR Week Hall of Fame coming up on December 4th. You can get tickets via the PR Week website or the PR Week Hall of Fame website. And the PR Week Global Awards are open for entries. There's an early bird deadline of December 12th uh, and an event coming up in London, and you can get all the details on our website or on the Global Awards website. But I'm afraid that's all the time we have on this week's edition of the PR Week. And before we go, here are some sounds from PR Week's 40 Under 40.
5: Welcome to the 2023 PR Week 40 Under 40 Awards. (laughs) 40 Under 40 is all about inspiration and aspiration. And we are here tonight to celebrate and honor the next generation of PR leaders. Brian Bell, VP Global Communications and Social Emp- Ward, Head of Influencer in PR, Beauty and Wellbeing at May and Vaseline at Unilever. SVP Public Affairs at SKDK, Maria Saez. This year's PR Week, 40 Under 40 honorees are a set of rising stars helping their C-suite and clients navigate the precarious worlds of politics, public affairs, healthcare, digital communications, and more. And more. Chief Communications Officer at Encore Capital Group, Faryar Barahani. Michael Lamb, Chief Digital and Social Officer at Hunter, SVP Digital at Precision Strategies, Krishana Davis. PR is a people business, and these honorees' ability to build relationships, remain receptive, and understand the changing nature of younger generations, is crucial to the future effectiveness of communications. Kerr has worked in the PR communications industry for more than a decade, spanning. Zapkin fundamentally believes that PR cannot be optimized without sound research into target audiences and meaningful measurement of results. In his role at Airbnb, Olivos has been instrumental in driving the company's growth and establishing its presence in the fastest growing market. Let's fastest give another round of applause for our whole class of 2023 40 under 40 honorees. <laughs> Our next honoree this evening is Abraham Espinoza, Senior Vice President, Executive Strategy Director at
6: Golan.
7: How does it feel to be awarded here tonight, to be in this room? How does that make you feel?
6: Well, Last night, I was not able to sleep. I think I just slept like two hours. That tells how much excited I was. I'm so energized with getting to know all of the other 39 nominees. And it means a lot to me, I think. I think this recognition is not just for me. I think it's also for all those people who have been with me throughout my professional journey. Those uh, school teachers, those mentors, those uh, managers who believed in me, who spent some time with me, who transmitted me their skills. And I think this recognition is also for them and for my colleagues who make me smarter every day. I'm sure nobody gets here alone we have our village behind us and that village is at least minimum 40 people supporting us so it's meaningful to celebrate them as well.
5: Our next honoree this evening is Jenny
3: Wong, Senior Vice President, Health at Clive. It's very humbling because I know that there's been a lot of alumni of the 40 Under 40 who've done great things, and so I am um, humbled. Our next honoree this evening is Lisa Kaplan,
5: founder and CEO of Alithia.
7: I am thrilled not only to be able to um here tonight with all the 40 under 40 honorees who are doing some truly amazing work in the field. But I'm excited to meet everyone and I'm excited that the idea of a company that's doing work to counter misinformation and disinformation is at the table. From what we've seen, communicators are really on the front lines of this new threat and I think the acknowledgement that this is what's coming is one of the reasons why I'm really excited to be here and honored by by the award.
8: Rob Longer, co-founder and managing director of Day One Agency. I'm super proud of being recognized here at the PR Week 40 Under 40. Uh, We're about 10 years in at Day One Agency and um, this is a great way to celebrate a little bit ahead of that.
5: Next up this evening is Marissa Wallace, VP Client Experience at Agami Group.
9: I feel absolutely honored. Honestly, it is extremely surreal. For me, um, especially at this stage in my career, to be recognized at such a prestigious publication among so many brilliant people that I've just seen throughout my career. I'm still taking it all in, but but I'm extremely honored.
5: Our next honoree this evening is Mira Patney, head of Global Communications at Semaphore.
4: It's a little surreal. I think as PR people, you tend to be in the background unless you're doing your job terribly. And so uh, it's a very unique experience. I think it's great that PR Week exists and you know, honors the work of communications people and uh, understands it's not just sending out press releases and statements. And I'm really honored here to be repping news and media. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful for the honor.
5: What is the importance of recognizing uh, young talent in PR?
6: Most importantly is for Gen Z. I care a lot about people who are starting their careers, who are in their 20s. They're starting their careers in such a challenging economy, landscape. And with this ceremony, they are able to see 40 stories to get some ideas on how they can thrive, on how they can uh, solve some challenges. And to me, that's the most important thing. Like this, the 40 40 of today, very likely will inspire the future of the industry. And that's my main focus, uh, inspiring and guiding those who are in their 20s, who still have 20 years to make it to this list, still have 20 years to grow in their careers. But most of all, I think they're starting their careers in such a challenging world that it's great to be able to inspire them.
3: I think it's important to recognize young talent, not just because, let's be honest, PR people love also PR for ourselves, (laughs) but because um, especially when we can highlight a diverse cohort of top 40, under 40, people from different walks of life, different backgrounds, I think that's super important to show that the industry is diverse and can be diverse and actually still has a ways to go in terms of being more diverse.
7: So that's a big question. I think it's important to acknowledge young people because the reality is that as communicators, we're really speaking to every single demographic. I think that having that type of representation around age to be able to highlight the individuals that are batting above average, that are being that are able to reach different um, segments of the population, and also those who are often charged with adopting. New technology, coming up with creative and innovative ways to communicate in a volatile and changing world is a really important opportunity for the industry to get to know what's happening um, around around the world.
8: The future of the industry is going to be dictated by the future stars that are rising up right now. And mentorship of them, teaching them, and supporting them is really what's going to get them there. And I think back to being an intern at PepperCom, many, many years ago and that was that was me and I'd love to see the people that are just starting with us up here on this stage um, in a f- just a few years.
9: I think that it's extremely critical to, especially in this PR industry which can be running and gunning all of the time, to really stop and sort of assess and take in the work that you're able to do. I think as communicators. There is a heavy load on us to be able to reach our audiences in a responsible way, also answering to our clients as well, giving them the best counsel. So to be able to do that and also be recognized for it and the importance of it I think is extremely critical to really just keeping our fires burning for this work.
4: (laughs) I think that um, the best communications teams are teams that are diverse, uh, that, that diversity can also be age, and I think it's really important uh, in 2023 to have people in your communications team advising senior people in your company that uh, have a, a real pulse on what's going on, who are on social media, who get it. And um, you know, I think this award clearly sort of honors honors those folks. And um, it's not the easiest industry. It's uh, certainly not a soft skill and um, it's great to see good talent being on it and we have to keep doing it to keep people in the industry so
7: some other publications acknowledge 30 under 30 we do 40 under 40 what do you Thank think God. what do you think that decade does for you i've heard a lot of people say that you know you do more in your 30s than you've done in your entire life what does that extra decade buffer mean for
9: you i mean uh, i'm in my early 30s ish You can just, just look to put look like that you can on, on the record, record. <laughs> put it on the record there um, No, I think that in every stage of your career in every decade it's important again to acknowledge the work acknowledge the people contributing to the industry and I think that extra buffer of under 40 again just keeps this group fired up right another reminder that there's still more for us to do more for us to learn that we're still innovating and that we're still important. So I extremely appreciate a 40 under 40.
7: <laughs> so I actually was honored for 30 under 30. And I would say that I do think that the importance of both 30 under 30 and 40 under 40 is 30 under 30, you're betting on people with a big idea. 40 under 40, you're highlighting people who have demonstrated results. And so I think that the, the key difference is it's not just promise. It's people who have risen to the top of their industry and it's acknowledging all of the work that's gone into that as well. So a really important part of being a young professional is having mentors and then also being a mentee in turn when you reach that stage. Who are the people that you look up to still? It doesn't necessarily have to be within PR and communications and then in turn, who do you still
9: mentee now? Oh, that's such a great question. There's so many people and I feel so strange like trying to rattle off names, but for one, Tanisha Jackson-Warner at Igami Group, who is our CEO and founder. I think that what attracts so many people to Igami Group is just her pure passion for just multicultural marketing and communications and the importance of diversity and inclusivity still. Um, I know that, you know, it was a hot topic in 2020 and it sort of waned, right? But I think that there is still important work to be done to ensure that that is going on continuously in PR and communication and so I think her as an advocate and ambassador for that work she's someone definitely that mentors me and someone that I look up to to this day um, and then there's so many people that I'm into obviously still at my agency at previous agencies that I keep in touch with and hopefully I can be an example to them but I'm always looking down to them to sorry looking across to them not down at them to correct Um, to learn more, especially in this digital age. I may be in my early thirties, I'll keep putting that on the record, Um, but there are so many things that I still need to learn digitally and social media and so for them, I think I just look up to them and and they help me to this day.
3: I look up to Kamala Harris. I know that she's gotten um, a lot of criticism and scrutiny and I think that um, being the first many firsts, Um, she's really paved a path and had to walk a fine line, so I would say Kamala.
7: I would say I've been very fortunate to get a lot of great mentors along the way. I actually don't think that the, the work that we do at Aletheia would be possible without these mentors. The two that are coming to mind, particularly from the communications industry, are Chip Smith and Bob Feldman. They both were willing to take the coffee and take the call when I was first starting out and everything was a crazy idea on a pitch deck. And every step of the way, they've been the people that I call when I have a question or there's a challenge that's been happening and they're, they're willing to lend their expertise and their experience and talk it out. In terms of my mentees, It's been really rewarding to be able to help people both grow in their career within the company and be able to help them take on new challenges to learn new ways to think about mitigating disinformation as well as people outside the company who are seeking to understand how they can have an impact and grow in the communications and security fields.
8: Two people I look up to as mentors are actually my co-founders, Brad Lady, Josh Rosenberg, um, I think we mentor each other all the time and are sounding boards for each other all the time and can learn from each other. And, you know, we each bring very different things to the table and can learn from each other every single day and um, come together to make something really special. And then I also have to shout out, like I said, Peppercom, Steve Cody and Ed Moed, now of Hot Paper Lantern and Ted Burcon and Maggie O'Neill. Um, we're really, you know, people that set me up for success when I was super junior and helped teach me the ways of the industry.
5: How does it feel to be taking on that mentorship role now, you know, as you guys are are hiring younger people on your staff and as you're you're taking on that mentorship uh, role?
8: Yeah, I mean, stepping into a mentor role is something I've always done, even from being, you know, the intern coordinator at an agency. And it's something I want to do now. Um, You know, just really looking at the future of the industry and thinking about what it's going to take to be successful um, is so important and that's perspective i can provide to the next generation